Coming to you from the Sunshine State, this is Create Brand Envy, a podcast dedicated to entrepreneurs and business owners discussing businesses, marketing, leadership, and best practices in this ever-changing business landscape. Every week, we'll introduce you to a different business leader that has taken their company to new heights despite the odds. Learn, engage, and thrive. This is Create Brand Envy. And now your host, President and CEO of Brand Envy, Nicole Alisea. Money, 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 money. This episode features one of the most practically insightful conversations I've ever had. Today's guest is Cynthia Weiss, who after enjoying a 40 plus year career in the banking and financial services industry and retiring, she decided she wasn't done contributing to the world. So she re-entered the workforce as a self-employed business owner and consultant and founded CFW Credit Consultants. CFW Credit Consultants helps two clients. The first one is small banks or nonprofits that lend money to small businesses in the community. She helps her clients evaluate credit risk for potential borrowers for their loan programs. It's her job to evaluate a company's financial documents and tell the lender whether or not she thinks they'll get their money back if they lend out this money to the small business owner. On the other hand, she also helps that small business owner that needs financing, helping them get their documents together so they can get approved for a loan. And she also helps them understand the terms of the funding they are being offered. Clearly, Cynthia is fluent in bank speak and has a keen eye for detecting fraud, evaluating a business's financial viability, and a very strong grasp on how lending works. If you are a business owner that has ever borrowed money, or you think that at some point you'll need to access somebody else's money to grow your organization, listen up. This is an episode you won't want to miss. Now, on to today's interview. Cynthia Weiss, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Why don't you tell me a little bit about your career history? Yeah, so I um, went through a bank training, got, went through a bank training program, was in commercial lending, corporate lending, doing all sorts of, you know, lending kind of uh, jobs, if you will, bringing corporate clients into the bank and then managing the portfolio. Okay. It's really the only sale you can ever make where they expect the product to come back, which is the money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I morphed into, I actually followed a boss to um, an insurance company in a strategic marketing role because what they were looking to do is really emulate what banks do very well, which is sell multiple products to the same client. Mm -hmm. So I created a whole cross-sell paradigm for an insurance company, which then morphed into a chief marketing role at an economic development authority because they were looking to take economic development products and partner with banks. And they really needed someone who understood how banks look at companies to meld together with how an economic development authority would look for companies to come to their state, increase jobs, and then lend them money to kind of lure them into the state, but partner with banks to actually get some money from the banks as well. You needed to understand kind of bank lingo Mm -hmm. 
to market to both the banks and the companies. And then after a while, as these things happen, I ended up going back into a, a banking role the last 10 years of my career. And I was working on all sorts of credit programs and um, I became like the f- corporate fraud guru in the bank and through unfortunate circumstance because banks never like to lose money. Yeah. Um, and that, that's kind of where I ended up. So that's what intrigued me and that's what made me say, I have to talk to her because you were just sharing these juicy... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Some juicy of the juicy behind the scenes stories. And I was like, oh, wow, this is so interesting. So what kind of caught, kind of caught me off guard when I first met you and I started kind of asking you what you do is you said, I work with nonprofits yep. to help businesses get loans. Correct. And my face kind of like contorted into this, what? Yep. what? Because I, I mean, and it, looking back, it makes sense. But when I hear nonprofit, I'm usually thinking of a company that's, you know, obviously doing good in the mm-hmm. community. Uh, I guess I yep. never really look, uh, I, I've, I've, ne- I've never looked at it or experienced it from that angle of a, of a nonprofit entity that, ex- that exists to, provide loans to small businesses in underprivileged. I'll let you explain it a little bit better. Okay. Are we on? Yeah. yeah we've been on the whole time. Oh. <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> okay. Is this live? <laughs> okay. So I didn't realize that. Okay. So following my retirement, 2019, I kind of wanted to take the uh, expertise that I had in working with a wide variety of companies on wide variety of financing type projects over 40 years. And um, why do good, do well by doing good or whatever you say when you're earning money by doing something good. Um, There are in virtually every community across the country, there are really economic development focused nonprofits Mm -hmm. who, whose main focus is to put money into communities, but not just throw money at a community, but rather help finance small businesses that are in these communities, hiring people who live in those communities to really make a robust economic growth picture of particular communities. Where does this originate? Is it the government? So... That's an interesting perspective. Um, there, um, many years ago, the government did institute something called the Community Redevelopment Act, in which the government told banks that you know if you want to operate nationally, um, you need to make sure you are also offering services in underrepresented communities. Mm-hmm. A lot of communities where you know, you may oftentimes see there's no grocery store. There is no bank branch. Entities feel they couldn't make money there. And so what a lot of banks did is they said, you know, instead of us making loans directly, for example, to small businesses, and we don't really know these communities, they would give grants to nonprofits. And those nonprofits would align themselves with 
banks, different banks, with count cities, counties, and states, and federal government for different kind of grant programs, and they would make loans in their communities mm-hmm. um, to these small businesses. Oftentimes, they're in communities that they really know the community. They know the players. They know what works and what doesn't work. So it might be that they'd lend to, you know, the coffee shop on the corner Mm -hmm. that a major bank is going to say, well, you got Starbucks all over the place. What do you need this local coffee shop? But that local nonprofit knows everybody in the neighborhood is going to go to that coffee shop. But how do you get that coffee shop owner financing? Because for a small business, the only form of capital that they have is what they've got in their own pocket, Mm -hmm. family and friend money, Mm -hmm. and then they need loans. They oftentimes can't get typical what we would call vendor financing, which is, you know, they want to buy inventory and that manufacturer or the seller of the wholesaler will give you terms. These small businesses can't get terms. Oftentimes, they don't understand how to ask for the terms. Mm -hmm. So a nonprofit might say, look, you're hiring three people in this neighborhood, which might not sound like a lot, but you multiply it times 100 of those businesses, all of a sudden it's a lot, right? Mm -hmm. So we're going to give you um, a loan or a line of credit, either one, and we're also going to help you personally with cleaning up your credit. We're going to help you with some advisory, business advisory, so that you're not, you know, today you've got three employees, but tomorrow you've got a second location and you've got another three employees, okay? Mm -hmm. And on and on. And meanwhile, the bank that has given this nonprofit a few million dollars to place is very happy because they can say to the Community Redevelopment Act folks, this is where we've placed our money, in that neighborhood, and it's working. The nonprofit every year goes to the bank to say, let me show you how this has worked. The nonprofit looks to somebody like me to say, we've got an application for this loan. Can you do the analysis of this small business and tell us if, they're going to pay us back because the whole concept is we not only want to grow jobs in this neighborhood and make businesses successful, but we need to recycle those dollars to have those dollars come back so we can lend them out again. And oh, by the way, we're trying to lend them money at reasonable interest rates because their comp- the competition for the giving the dollars to the small business are pretty unsavory characters oftentimes. Mm -hmm. And some, you know, the internet's a wonderful place. But you find, you you might have heard the the phrase fintech, which is basically there are a lot of these startup financing programs. Oh, you know, just click on this link here. We don't even ask you for anything, but we'll give you Mm $25,000. Of course, what they don't tell you is that the interest rate is like 40% that they expect to get paid back every week and that 
when you get in a hole, you're going to be in real trouble. And they're not offering you anything other than the money. So they don't care what your credit report looks like. They don't care what they will do to your credit report, you know, when you're late on one payment, Mm -hmm. which is really troublesome. Whereas for the nonprofits and um, what I would globally call CDFIs, which stand for Community Development Financial Institutions, Mm -hmm. they are set up because they want to see businesses succeed Mm -hmm. more than they want to see themselves succeed. And that's really key to growing small business in America. You know, don't screw the little guy and then he's going to be out of business in, you know, a few years and you've completely ruined him. But you as the, you know, every week collecting your funds, you're making money. But there's the flip side of it too. So there are businesses of every size that come to the nonprofits because they see this is a really great deal, mm-hmm. but they may not be as legitimate as one would hope. Right. So I look at those as well, and sometimes I'm able to say to the nonprofit, I know you think this is a great business and has a lot of potential, but here's where I'm seeing that maybe it's not as legitimate as you think it is. And so I do that analysis on the financials and walk them through that. First, I'm I'm actually I'm really just just initially before we dive into what you're doing exactly. Okay. I, I mean I'm I'm fascinated and proud of you that you retired, and you then said, "Well, I'm just you know I'm I'm I've I guess I've officially retired, but I'm not ready to retire yet. <laughs> I still have a lot to offer the world." And you know we we talked a lot about purpose uh, when, yep. when we you and I spoke one on one that you know we we need to feel like we're contributing to the world and doing something meaningful. Yep. So you you started your company in 2019, mm-hmm. CFW um, Credit Consultants. What does CFW stand for? Cynthia and Fred Weiss. Oh, is that your <laughs> husband? Yes. Yeah, so um, my husband's a brilliant financial guy, um, but he's very retired. Okay. So he is totally retired, um, but he is also a 20-year Army vet. And I, I incorporated the business in Pennsylvania and they really like veteran owned businesses. So that's fine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no problem. Uh, awesome. And he is my, he is my ear. Sometimes when I'm looking at something, I'll say, so here's what the business looks like. And here's what they think they want. I, I'm, my gut tells me something just isn't yeah. right. And so- I I use him a lot. He'll give you feedback. So he's technically a partner. (laughs) He he is. He is one of the members of the LLC. That is correct. Very cool. So, as an independent consultant, one of the drawbacks is that you don't have the kind of um, access to resources and software that you would if you were working for a large company. Correct. So, I'm fascinated that you were able to post retirement start your own company approach bank banks. I'm assuming you ha- you just have relationships, right? With mm-hmm. banks from your, your yep. career days. So it was yep. easy for you to just reach out to your contacts because business is always about people. <laughs> That's kind of like, it always comes back to that. It's always yep. who you know, the relationships you have, the friends that you make along the way. And what, so you do all this investigative work mm-hmm. to 
advise your clients as to whether or not this is a safe person uh, or a safe entity person? Um, there, because there's, there's risk people. in anything, but sure. from what they're giving me. So what tools, mm -hmm. what do you use to look at a company or a person's background? And right. what do you look for to evaluate and size them up and make a recommendation? Okay. That's a great question. Um, first of all, it's a lot of the same information that if I were looking to consult with a small business who's looking to get financing, these are the kind of things I would tell them to put together and get what I would call cleaned up. Okay. So um, typically the nonprofits or I do some work for small banks too that don't aren't fully staffed and they, they need work to be done. Um, they provide me through a secure site uh, the information that I'll need. And oftentimes I ask them to go to the prospective borrower to get more information. So what are the typical things we look at with a small business? Obviously, tax returns. And I say that with a nice question mark mm -hmm. because some businesses don't necessarily have the most sophisticated accounting. And so I'll see the tax returns and suggest, especially in the nonprofit side, I'll suggest to them, you know, I can see errors in the tax returns. So before you work with them, what you may want to suggest is they do spend the money in getting a really good, knowledgeable CPA in their industry to possibly amend these tax returns before we even start. So that's something I look at the tax returns. Usually in a small business, it may be a Schedule C on their personal tax return. So three years of tax returns, see where they are. I ask the borrower to provide projections. Tell me what you think you're going to do. <laughs> Which I okay? always laugh at because who knows? I, okay. <laughs> do we, you know, I ask them to validate it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you're working with a small business that may be selling um, their products against purchase orders. Well, if they've got some purchase orders, okay. Mm -hmm. This sounds good, you know, or they're going to trade shows and they know based on the past what they've gotten from the trade shows. So they should be able to at least for a year out project what is their business going to look like. In a small business, what people don't like to understand, but it is true, really look at the character of that individual business owner. So how do you judge character in a financial sense, right? For good or bad, we have credit reports. Okay. I don't look at a, I don't make a judgment call on necessarily what's on the credit report. I look at how has the business owner behaved? What is his relationship with money? Hmm. So wow. for example, um, if you have someone who has, I'm going to give the good and then the bad, okay? So the good is small business owner has a reasonable amount of credit cards. They're not always using up to the credit limit. They're paying the credit cards, not necessarily paying them off every month, but they're never late. Mm -hmm. I mean, never late. Mm -hmm. Like, 
no 30 days, no 60 days, that if they have student debt, and that's something I see so much. Yeah, that's a big with, topic. With a lot of people who have been paying the loan, I can see on the credit report, they have been paying that student loan every single month. And now 10 years later, the loan balance is greater than they originally took out. And I, I must go through this on a daily basis with a variety of borrowers and the nonprofits of explaining the concept of capitalized interest and how much are they paying every month on the student loan and what they really need to be paying. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so that's a burden to them. Mm -hmm. But if they're paying it, uh, you know, they show that they haven't missed any payments, that they have a home mortgage that they're paying on time. And what I also look at is all of the inquiries on their credit that they've had over the last couple of years. So, okay, you've gone to all these banks, clearly. Um, why are all these banks pulling credit? Generally, it's because you've applied for something, okay? So when you applied for whatever it was you applied for, did you get approved? If I see a bunch of banks listed that are not banks that currently have credit cards or auto loans or something, I'm scratching my head to say, well, what happened to those banks? Mm -hmm. And then if they tell me, well, they declined me, then I want to know, well, why? Why did they decline you? Now, just because a bank declined you, it doesn't mean it's bad. Mm -hmm. It could be that the way you presented your information was so difficult for them to understand mm -hmm. that it was easier for them to just say, you know, your credit score is not high enough mm -hmm. or your debt-to-income ratio is too high. Mm -hmm. But to have the business owner truly have a relationship with money and take the time to get a copy of their credit report every year, make sure it's totally accurate, mm -hmm. pay your bills on time mm -hmm. is huge. Because if I start out with a really clean credit report, that gets me 25% there, especially with a small business. Awesome. Okay, so the nonprofit, if I'm working with a nonprofit or, or a bank, they typically are giving me through a secure site. They've downloaded, gotten permission from the borrower, credit report, um, loan statements of current loans that they have outstanding, because sometimes what they think the loan is and what their monthly statement says are totally different. Really? So part of it's an education, you know, of a, a lot of people feel like, well, I'm paying it every month. That's the bill. I've paid it. But they have no idea what the interest rate is, what their balance is. They haven't looked at it. So, um, you know, really looking at the statements. But one at the tax returns, as I mentioned, any projections, if it's this time of year, I want to see at least up through September, mm -hmm. their internal 
statements, you know, QuickBooks or what have you. Um, but where I generally catch my, you know, yeah, I don't think this is going to be a good borrower, people, is when I compare, I ask for the most recent three months or sometimes six month um, checking and savings statements. Of the personal? Of the personal and the business. And, the business. and if it's really a legitimate business, and this person is really running his business like a business, the bank statements for the business look like a business. Right. You see may, maybe inventory purchases. They might have a separate payroll account if they've got lots of employees, but, you know, you see payroll, um, you see deposits, again, depending upon the business. Um, and the... Ending cash, you can follow, you know, you follow the cash. Mm -hmm. So if he's telling me that he did, you know, $100,000 in revenues and he's got $10,000 left at, you know, at the, the end of the year he's made $10,000 in net profit, mm -hmm. but his cash balances are always like a dollar, okay? Right. Something is, yeah, this is a miss. Okay? Yeah, money's missing. Right. Just to, just to get a sense of the type of businesses that you're yeah. talking about, can you just mention some of the industries? Sure. And, and the total, gro you know, the gross revenue size of the business, just to get a sense of the level that you're talking about. Sure. Um, small businesses, we're looking at some businesses that are doing anywhere from Literally $50,000 a year in revenues. The up, company. The company. Wow. 50000 in revenue up to, I'd say, the largest one for, you know, small business, if you will, is uh, $30 million, Okay. You know, in revenue or so. Um, a company doing any more than a couple million a year in revenue, they should have a bank relationship. Right. Um, they should be beyond the relying on family, friends, and money in their pocket kind of business or nonprofit kind of. But some of the nonprofits, of course, partner with some of the banks when, you know, a, a, a company may have had very high growth and may have gotten to $5 million in sales really quickly, mm -hmm. but they're not yet what I would call bankable. So they, the bank might partner with a nonprofit to get them the financing they need. Um, you, you also asked me about industries, so mm -hmm. if I could yeah, just, just some examples. Those small, small businesses, the fifty thousand to I'd say three hundred thousand in revenue, those are nail salons, um, small restaurants, mom, real mom and pop restaurants, mm -hmm. cleaning services, mm -hmm. um, both commercial cleaning and residential cleaning services, small real estate management companies, you know, okay. property management, tutoring companies, you know, real service businesses, um, small law firms, small manufacturers, wholesalers, distributors, importers kind of businesses. As uh, the, the larger entities tend to be bigger real estate 
entities like a builder. I'm not talking about a major national builder, but a builder who has bought, you know, a few houses on a street and is going to demolish them and, and put up new housing and needs financing, that so, kind of thing. So that was going to be my next question. What are, what are some really good reasons to get financing and, and get a loan? And what are some terrible reasons to get a loan? Okay. That's a great question. And, and as I see, I always answer with these very long answers, but there's no one right answer. But a good reason to get finance, short-term financing is when you need to buy inventory at, for either sale of those goods mm-hmm. or you're buying parts mm-hmm. to then make something that you're going to sell. Mm-hmm. And you are giving terms to, you're a wholesaler giving terms to a retailer. Okay. So as an example, um, you know, you you need money to buy this inventory, buy these goods. You then put together, you're manufacturing something. It takes mm-hmm. time to put it together. Mm-hmm. Then you sell it to, you know, Macy's or whoever to put on their shelves and you give them 60-day terms that whole process from buying the inventory, making the goods, giving the terms, that could be anywhere from 90 to 120 days. In the meantime, you need to pay your rent. Mm -hmm. You need to pay your employees. Mm -hmm. And so a really good use of bank financing or line of credit financing is for what we would call that working capital time period, you know, the inventory AR until you can turn that into cash. Gotcha. And so lines of credit are great ways uh, for any kind of company that has inventory and accounts receivable that we would call current assets to finance current assets with short-term lines of credit that you're paying it back as you get cash and then you're borrowing again to buy to buy your inventory and have your accounts receivable cycle, especially if you may be um, not large enough to get vendor terms yourself, okay? Another good reason to borrow is if you're a company that needs what we would call fixed assets. So if you're a manufacturer and you need... Um, equipment to actually make your goods, that is a long-term asset. That equipment might last you 7, 10, 20 years, okay? Well, to use your liquidity, use your cash for an asset that's going to last you a very long period of time, that doesn't make sense necessarily either. So getting a term loan that matches then the, the, the useful life of that asset is a very good, good way to utilize debt financing. Where people or companies get into legitimate trouble is, in my first example, you borrowed to buy inventory and sell your goods mm-hmm. and you expect to get paid back mm-hmm. from the receivables from that sale. Well, maybe you don't get paid back. You still owe the bank the money. Yeah. Okay. 
So that that can be you know problematic, and you need a cushion. And that's what your capital is for. Or that equipment you thought had a useful life of seven years, and after three years, you've got to refurbish it. But you've got this bank loan that's out there paying for that. So again, there's some capital cushion, and your expectation is that every year that you're profitable, you're taking those profits and putting them back into the business to create that cushion. What are some bad bad reasons to go and try to borrow money? Okay. What we would call being over leveraged and overextended and not too different from your own your own home personal situation. Okay. You know, if you buy a house on Davis Island for $14 million, but you're owning or only earning $100,000 a year, might be tough, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that same analogy can be used for a lot of businesses. They borrow with kind of an expectation that um, business is going to look different than it looks today. And um, they borrow too much or and or the growth of the business is extraordinary, but they don't control their costs and they're losing money. Mm-hmm. And they keep borrowing more money. Mm-hmm. Throwing good money after throwing bad. Throwing good money after <laughs> bad. And yeah. they don't build up a capital base in the business gotcha. to support what really is kind of a permanent working capital need or their, their real operations. They should be able to, for example, pay their payroll from their legitimate cash flow from the business. So it sounds like businesses should keep a pretty decent running balance, uh, and that's basically the money that they're they're borrowing to themselves, right? I mean, obviously that's the ideal situation where they wouldn't even have to go to a, go lend get, well, you know, borrow they, money. You know what? Um, OPM, other people's money, mm-hmm. is a great way to grow your business. Sure, no question. You just don't want to get overextended yeah. and. Businesses can get into trouble. They have a blip. So you want to leave enough money in the business. Where we see troublesome situations is where a business distributes out all of their profits to the business owners every year, Mm -hmm. some of whom are not actively involved in the business. Mm -hmm. And then the business has a bad year. And it's like, we don't have any reserves. Right. So it would be, again, if you look at it from the perspective of managing your home, you know, you you have investments, but anyone will tell you, you should have, if you can, three to six months of emergency cash. Mm-hmm. That cash might not be doing anything for you. Yeah. But it comes in handy if you have an oops month. Yep. Same thing business. And, you know, I've lost count over the years how many times I've said to a business owner, you really took a big distribution this year. Well, you know, we went on these great vacations and I, <laughs> my wife wanted a new Mercedes yeah. and my husband wanted a plane. Yeah. And yeah. That's all great. But, you know, if next year isn't as good in the business as this year, yeah. where's the money going to come from? Yeah. And then they'll look to the bank and say, well, I'll just borrow more, bad habit. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like refinancing your mortgage constantly to keep taking cash out right. of your home, thinking, well, I'm, it's just going to keep increasing in value. And then all not, of a sudden yeah. it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. And, that, and that's not true unless you plan on actually selling it. Exactly. So the co- let's talk about the cost to borrow right. money. That would be interest, which has been a huge topic lately. Yep. Um, I'll admit to the listener, I am not a financial person. I might say something dumb. No. I don't care. That's why there's experts, right? We always <laughs> lean on other people. You know, I, I recently reached out to my dad and my mom independently. They're mm-hmm. divorced. And, I, and I, I sent a screenshot of a chart that I saw of interest rates when I was born. I guess mm-hmm. I'm going to give away my year in the early 1980s. Yep. And I said... Got my first mortgage then. I said, wow. Uh-huh. Like I can see, <laughs> and I'm going to reveal something, not even embarrassing, but just just mildly embarrassing. So when I was a baby, uh, I was born in California. My parents are trying to make it, you know, so mm-hmm. they, they were, they were here in Tampa and then some days they, they were told that, you know, great opportunities in California, go out there. And we have family yep. in California too. So, but they went there, you know, couldn't make it, came back here. They ended up purchasing a double wide in Wesley Chapel okay. in the early eighties. And my, my, like when I sent the chart to my dad that he wrote or my mom, she was like, that's why we bought a double wide in Wesley Chapel because that's all we could afford because yep. the interest rates were, what was it? 10, 18%. 18%. My first mortgage. Which to 18%. me, that's unfathomable. I'm like 18. Yeah. What is like, I, I, that's worse than a, my worst credit card I've ever had. Like that's crazy. Yep. So, um, it's so interesting because my dad retired in 1982, mm-hmm. which was the year I bought my first house. And he was so excited because he took all his money, put it in CDs for 16%. And I said, that's great for you, but I'm paying 18% on my mortgage. Um, it was, um, it was pretty rough. Um, so when I was doing, um, you know, when I was a banker early on and then interest rates started coming down and they started coming down precipitously, you know, and then for the last- Can I, I just dumb yeah. village idiot question? Yeah. Why did they start to go down? Well, it you know, it, I am not an economist, so I'll- I'll do my do my best here, but interest rates are high when the Federal Reserve is the one who determines interest rates in mm-hmm. this country, is trying to slow down consumer spending and demand. If things are too expensive, people won't buy them. And traditionally, how you've... Um, uh, really reduced inflation, which inflation when prices are going up and up mm-hmm. is to limit demands. Mm-hmm. If interest rates go up mm-hmm. and the people don't want to take out loans, mm-hmm. especially house loans, car loans, the like, it will tamp down demand. Prices will need to come down because supply is going up. Mm-hmm. Nobody's mm-hmm. buying stuff. Mm-hmm. Supply goes supply up, demand. right? And so interest rates will start coming down 
after the prices come down and supply is plentiful, and then it's, well, we can reduce interest rates, and little by little they reduced interest rates. Over, It's a much bigger global issue yeah. than this, which, you know, because inflation is, even if people don't want to believe it, it is a worldwide crisis. Yes. Um, and interest rates in other countries have been for a while a lot higher than our interest rates. But supposedly the, uh, you know, the impact will be every time we raise interest rates, mm -hmm. demand will come down, mm -hmm. which will increase supply, mm -hmm. which will ultimately reduce prices, at which point we can reduce interest rates. The timing of how that all works, I... I Trust me, I'd be living in that $14 million mansion in Davis Island if I knew the answer to that. I do not. I mean, but don't the feds determine? The, Fed deter the Federal Reserve determines interest rates based on monetary policy. And that now we're way above my pay grade. Okay. But and what they, they do that to kind of control the economy, keep everything kind of... Supposedly. Lassoed in. Supposedly. Okay. Now, what what banks do mm -hmm. in terms of the interest rate that you know small business borrowers see, and what consumers see, for example, those interest rates are totally different than what you hear. You know, oh, the Federal Reserve is raising interest rates. Yeah, for example, and, and okay. that's um, when I hear a, a bank say or I read it, and it says you're. Your interest rate is going to be prime plus whatever. Correct. I'm always like, what? Like to me, well, that's like, what is prime and what? How do you add them together? <laughs> like what? Right. So um, back in the day, again, we're probably going to go back to the '80s here. Prime, the prime rate. It's an artificial rate. It's what they said their prime customers would get. Oh, that's okay. okay. The prime rate is also. The banks set, and it's generally then in lockstep. A big bank will say, you know, we've raised our prime rate to 5%. I, I haven't even looked at what the prime rate is lately because I've been working with customers on fixed rate loans. Mm -hmm. So I haven't so really not, looked yeah, at the, the variable rates. But hang on, did the, do the banks make up? Up their their prime rate, or 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 does that have to do with the it, Fed, or it not really? Has, it, it well. Whole different discussion, but how <laughs> how banks fund themselves okay. is that they borrow money from the Fed at a certain rate, and they have free money from depositors. Yes. So when you deposit money yeah. in an, even an interest-bearing checking account, you know you're not getting that much. Mm -hmm. There is a balance of what banks, how banks fund themselves mm -hmm. of borrowed funds from the Fed mm -hmm. and depositors' money. Okay. And so then they determine the prime rate is a lot more than mm -hmm. what they're borrowing. You know, for years and years, they were borrowing from the Fed at zero. <gasps> the prime rate, I don't think the prime rate ever got below around three-ish percent. You know, again, I haven't focused on the prime rate in a long time. There are a lot of, it's considered an index. So there are many different indices in which banks charge their customers 
um, on a variable rate loan. Okay. When interest rates were very low mm-hmm. in the not too distant past, yeah. I would always advise uh, a customer take a fixed rate loan. We've been threatening to raise rates for a decade. Mm-hmm. Okay. Take a fixed rate loan. Okay. The variable rate loans always at, as an actual interest rate always seemed less up front. Right. Okay? Being a risk person though, mm-hmm. I would advise a client, you're right. You could save a few pennies. Wait, a client being the borrower? Borrower, or the lo- right, okay. the okay. borrower. You could save a little bit by getting a variable rate now because the overall interest rate is less, mm-hmm. no question. Mm-hmm. A fixed rate loan will allow you to sleep at night. Essentially, you will know every month what that loan payment is and over the course of a longer term, mm-hmm. you may end up being better. It's, again, a risk. You determine what you want your risk to be. Mm-hmm. Two years ago, if I were a corporate borrower and I had an opportunity to get a fixed rate loan mm-hmm. and instead took a variable rate loan, I would say my board of directors should fire me at this point (laughs) because my borrowing costs have probably quadrupled. Right. Okay. Than they would have been if I had fixed that rate. And there are are a lot of different strategies for doing that. In the small business arena, you oftentimes don't get the choices that a larger company would get. Right. Okay. Right. On the flip side of that, a number of the nonprofits that I work with, mm-hmm. they only offer fixed rate term loans because that's what they do. They have a chunk of money. They offer a fixed rate for this period. The money is out the door. It's working. It's doing something. And, keep it and simple. They're, yeah, they're not monitoring f- floating rates. The um, interest rate is oftentimes, though, the, the big determinant of an interest rate that a bank or the nonprofit that you may go to is charging is all about their risk. Mm-hmm. No question about it. You want to have a lower interest rate, you make sure your package to that bank and that nonprofit is as clean as it possibly can be. So you you play a big hand in telling the bank, this is low risk, this is high risk. Oh, definitely. So you So you, you move that needle in terms of, uh, you know, what interest rate that client is eligible for. Correct. Because then there have been times, more with the nonprofits with the, than with the banks, mm-hmm. um, but with the nonprofits, there have been times I've said, do you want to make this entity a grant? Because this is a grant. This is not a loan. There's there's no way you're going to get paid back. Gotcha. Okay. Sometimes they have their own missions so that they say, yeah, we need to lend to this kind of industry in this neighborhood. And we understand we may not get paid back. Wow. Wow. Now, regardless of the interest rate. Wow. Okay. When I look at risk 
And if I were working with a a potential borrower seeking financing, Mm -hmm. the first thing I'm looking at is what is the source of repayment? So putting it on as an individual, Mm -hmm. as an analogy, you get a mortgage Mm -hmm. or a car loan. Mm -hmm. You're paying it back. Your source of repayment for that is your job, right? Well, for a business... The source of repayment is the cash flow from the business, okay? If year over year over year, there isn't the cash flow, because I'm looking at, okay, what what's the estimated loan payment going to be every year? And what are his other obligations? Can, he, can the client even afford it? Yeah, can they afford it? And what the nonprofits do very well, that banks don't do as good a job at, mm-hmm. huge generalization, they won't saddle a small business with a loan that they know the business can't repay. Now, sometimes... Unless they want to turn it into a grant. Unless they it's have a grant. Their own they have their agenda. own grant. I have a quick right. side question off of that. Yeah. So if they do say, I know we just have to lend it out. I know we're not going to get the money back. Go for it. I'm assuming to the business owner, it's presented with terms as if it was a real deal. If that business owner doesn't pay it back, does that nonprofit actually pursue them and ruin their credit? Or do they just kind of let it go because they always knew that that it was unlikely? I think that's an ethical question. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's an interesting question. mm -hmm. Typically, from what I've seen... um, and and I don't off, I don't review necessarily the books of the nonprofit so after really those deals have seasoned. Yeah. I will tell you that we had a situation, and sometimes I, I work with with someone else who's also um, does exactly what I do, and I'll pick her brain and say, uh, "I'm not seeing this here." Mm-hmm. I worked up this deal and I had gone to the nonprofit and I said, look, I, I have looked at this business's numbers six ways to Sunday. He keeps giving us new information. It's oftentimes not the same as the other information. My gut is telling me, I mean, the numbers are saying I, I, he says maybe he can pay it, pay you back. It's really sketch. I, I mean, this is just not, the numbers don't make sense to me. I don't see how he's going to pay you back. They ended up, they kept asking him questions to the point where they finally said, you know, I don't think we can do it. And and it really shouldn't be, a, this is not a business that we would be giving grant money to. Mm-hmm. Well, sure enough, um, about nine months later, let's just say that that business owner was in the newspaper and it was not in a favorable light. Sure. And they, I, I hadn't seen it, but they did contact me to say, thank you so much. Because if you hadn't kept poking, right. we, we would have done something with them. Now, I'm part of risk, be it for a nonprofit or a bank, there is a certain percentage of loans that go sideways. Mm -hmm. It's just, you don't have that much of a crystal ball and not because of fraud, just things don't work out. Okay. Yes. They're, they pursue actions Mm -hmm. against 
the borrower if it really is a loan program, okay? So they typically take some form of collateral and um, it may be taking a second lien on a property or all business assets lien. I mean, they'll they'll go after the borrower. There'll be a judgment. Mm-hmm. Um, do they try to work with the borrower? Yes, but you know, sometimes it just doesn't work out. That said, for any small business owner listening to this podcast, if I were a small business owner seeking financing, mm-hmm. literally across the country, especially co- during COVID and post-COVID, there are many, many, many programs offered that are what I would call hybrid loan grant programs. Hmm. And how those programs work is that the, in, the initial underwriting that is done is done as if the entire amount of the loan is a loan that needs to be paid back. Mm-hmm. But the program has a grant component to it. So, for example, in Philadelphia right now, they just launched a program, City of Philadelphia. If you have a business in the City of Philadelphia Mm -hmm. and you live in the City of Philadelphia and there are a couple other criteria with it, Mm -hmm. you can apply to the city for a grant. Mm -hmm. The grant is matched with a loan. You have to get both. So if the city approves you for this grant program, Mm -hmm. they will match you with a nonprofit who will provide a loan. Mm -hmm. And to get the grant, you need to pay back the loan. Interesting. And So it motivates them to make sure that they're paying it because they're going to get more. Exactly. So, and it's like, you know, you're talking about numbers like $20,000. Okay. We're, we're not talking about millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, but you start coupling some of these programs together and a business can end up doing very well if they can keep themselves kind of organized. And those loan programs, typically the interest rate is, is not terrible. It, it's comparable to a bank interest rate. I mean, it's, and you love this stuff. Like- I love this. <laughs> I I get such a kick out of seeing a small business do well um, because they've been given an opportunity to really work their business, but without that burden of, um, uh, you know, just high interest rate loans or not being able to realize their dream because there's nothing out there, no guidance for them. Right. I do get really frustrated and it, it's it's kind of like that old comic strip, like you want to shake the person. Yeah. When I see someone who is clearly competent mm-hmm. and they've got a credit score of like 600 and they've got bad debts and write-offs and charge-offs from store credit cards, you know, Mm -hmm. and you're thinking, what the heck were you thinking? You know, Um, and they're paying a lot for their auto loan and their home mortgage Mm -hmm. and all these things when you can be in control of this. Mm -hmm. So as much as I love seeing, you know, really good businesses Mm -hmm. thrive and, and nonprofits and economic development authorities 
doing good for their communities yeah. and jobs, 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 because I think that's the key, mm-hmm. keeping people employed in the community yes. for a long period of time. You know, that is exciting to me when I see, you know, these small businesses just not taking the time to really get their, I call it the package, you know, got to get the package together properly. It's, it can be very frustrating. Again, you're talking about businesses at this level, you know, you're like the, the, the baker, the the hairdresser, the whatever, they're good at their craft. And, exactly. you know, if you've ever read the E-Myth, they woke up and decided, you know, I make really great pies. I'm just going to open up my own pie shop. Yep. And they don't, you know, they don't realize that there's, it's an actual organization that you're running and that the last thing you're going to have time for is baking pies at the end of the day. Yep. And so they don't, they, they lack a lot of times the knowledge, you know, not, not everybody can go to business school and like, you know, learn all the ins right. and outs. I mean, almost every business owner that I've met, you know, they, they come from very diverse backgrounds. Correct. They, they don't always know what they're doing. They're kind of figuring it out on their own. Yep. So it's true. So are you? So you are you available for hire only? Like working with uh, nonprofit banks or regular banks, or are you also open to like if if one of our listeners owns a business and is has been struggling in this area, are mm-hmm. you also open to doing consulting like that? Yes. So I, I do wear two hats. I, I try to keep, I keep a Chinese wall and obviously I, I won't refer any business to a nonprofit or a bank that is an existing client, but there, there, there are enough financing sources out there that that doesn't need to, to be the case. Um, two things. If I see a business that is really a fledgling business just starting out and really can't afford to hire a consultant and I don't want to take money out of somebody's pocket that they need, mm-hmm. you know, um, I would refer them to an organization like SCORE. Mm-hmm. Um, SCORE, S-C-O-R-E is, I, I think the acronym stands for Society of Retired Business Owners something. Um, I always forget what the whole thing is, but they're a national organization. People can find them online um, and they are retired business owners gotcha. who will help a small business write a business plan, mm-hmm. come up with a marketing strategy, mm-hmm. and it's all free. Cool. So I would send uh, someone who wants to start a business and really has a good concept, mm-hmm. I would send them there. Um, there is also um, a digital organization um, that, that I actually... Uh, belong to as a mentor and it is free um, and it's sponsored by Verizon huh. and it's called Verizon Micro Mentors. Wow. It is again for very much startup businesses that don't even have any kind of capital yet. They've got a concept right? and they're trying to figure out what to do. So I'm actually working with a mentee right now um, who is looking to, he would like to build a, a real estate business, but he really doesn't know how to even look at real estate purchases from the standpoint of, is this a good deal or not? Wow, so yeah. I've been helping him with that. But if there is a small business that is looking to get financing, 
and they want to really have somebody look over all of their financials, all of their materials, and maybe package it for them so that they can take this to the bank or to a nonprofit. Um, Florida has a whole bunch of nonprofit programs. That would be something somebody would pay me uh, to do, and, and I'm happy to do that. I've done that. My very first client in doing that, I, I always would say this to him. He ended up becoming a friend. He, he brought me everything in a shoebox. <laughs> and he was wearing painter pants with a backwards baseball cap. And he said, um, I keep getting turned down by banks. I'm looking for financing. Okay. What's the business? And he said, real estate. Now, remember, he's wearing these really dirty painter's pants, right? And he's walking into a bank with all of his financials in a shoebox. Like, so you wanted them to go through the shoebox mm-hmm. and figure out, here's his tax returns, yeah. here's his everything. I said, yeah, they're not going to do that. Yeah, you yeah. got to make it easy. Right. So the bottom line is he had a really successful little roofing company. And he would go to see the bank at the very end of the day after he'd been on hot roofs all day. And, you know, he reeked, he's all. He wasn't going to look like he was in a business suit. Right. He also, um, he had 25 rental properties. Oh my gosh. All of which were rented with long-term tenants. And he was making a boatload of money. Wow. But you had to sit and create a whole spreadsheet. Right. There wasn't a bank in town who was going to take the time to, to do that. To sit down and do that. But so you you sat down and you grabbed, Put his spreadsheet together, him. organized it, told him what bank to go to, and then he had to go home and clean up first. <laughs> and put. he didn't need to wear a suit, but he needed to wear clean pants and a clean shirt. Yeah, just be clean. And forget the baseball cap. Uh, it was a visual. You know? Yeah. It worked. He got great financing and great terms. Great terms. And then he got to a point where every time he bought a property, he just could call the bank saying, Hey, I want to buy this property. Here's the purchase um, agreement. And they had money for him quickly. And and your do your services help the business owner get a better interest rate? It can, depends. Sometimes it's not necessarily the rate, but what I like to say is it's the structure of the deal. Mm -hmm. In the consumer market, we are used to getting 30-year mortgages with, you know, once they, you pay every month, you never deal with the bank again. Sometimes you don't even know who the bank is after a year, right? Yeah, they sell your stuff off. (laughs) Exactly. But you just pay your mortgage, that's Mm -hmm. it. And it's 30 years. Mm -hmm. That's very different in the commercial marketplace. The commercial marketplace, besides the interest rate, there are fees, there are terms and conditions that you need to comply with every month, every quarter, every year. Mm-hmm. Um, there, It may only be a five-year loan. They, The bank may have told you, oh, it's a 20-year loan we're giving you. And then in the fine print, it says that the interest rate is going to change at each five-year time period, okay? So really understanding what that commitment from the bank says, and then if we can't negotiate a better interest rate, we may be able to negotiate better 
terms that you can live with? Um, I applied for um, for a line of credit uh, with a bank. I'm just gonna keep it nice and broad, and they came back with really unfavorable terms. Was that something I I, I just walked? I I just said you know I, I don't these terms don't seem you know good for me, and I just kind of what, uh, ghosted you, them. I guess. What do you call unfavorable though? I was a line of credit, and I think I think the interest rate was like seventeen percent. I remember it was that really would high. Be un, that would be unfavorable. I, I said I'd rather get a credit card. This is really high, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and I kind of feel bad. I kind of ghosted the lady. The banker kept calling me. Is that something that I, that they could have, I, I guess I just don't like that. I, I feel like if, if, if I'm your client, if I'm the, you know, the bank's client, mm-hmm. you know, they have access to all of my financials. I just, I, I, I guess I just, uh, I, I felt like they should have given me truly the best interest rate that they could have from the get go. I, I don't like the notion of having to go back and, and negotiate, yeah. but is that something that I probably should have done, but j- just kind of gone back and forth with them and they could have changed the numbers to look better for me. Is that appropriate? Well, I hate to say it depends, but it depends. So um, (laughs) oftentimes what a lot of the banks are doing now is that up to about $100,000 on a line of credit, they're not even looking at the financials. um, It's all computer driven and then it pops out, the, the approval pops out together with whatever the interest rate is mm-hmm. that they judge meets what they view their risk of loss to be. Gotcha. Okay. I don't know enough of the particulars. Um, typically an interest rate, um, uh, typically a line of credit has a variable interest rate. Okay. So it yeah. would be prime plus something mm-hmm. or prime minus something, mm-hmm. um, maybe fixed for some period of time. Um, even in today's environment, 17% sounds extremely high. Um, so I'm not Maybe sure I'm what it was. Maybe I'm misquoting, but I just remember it was high. I yeah. saw it and I was like, I was like, this is, I just remember thinking this is like a credit card. This is not, right. <laughs> so the, use a credit card. So, so there's a couple of different things. If you are an authorized signer on a business credit card, that credit card will likely still show up on your credit, your personal credit report mm-hmm. and could impact your personal credit score. Mm. If you're getting a corporate line of credit, mm-hmm. that would likely not go on your credit report. So it would really be keeping the business separate from you personally. Right. On the other hand, um, Credit cards are unsecured debt. Right. And oftentimes a line of credit, they're looking to place a UCC lien. That's the uniform commercial code. Okay. okay. They place what's called an all business assets lien. Okay. And um, just like your home mortgage has a mortgage lien, mm-hmm. um, this is just a blanket lien that they file. Uh, with with the state. And so it is considered secured credit. So if the interest rates are the same and you have a credit card, mm-hmm. use the credit card. Sure. Uh, I would also say that when a business is starting up, um, a good idea is to really interview banks for your deposit accounts. You're not starting out with a loan account. 
You're starting out with deposits. What, do, You're what, giving what am I supposed to ask a bank if I'm considering putting my commercial money with them? I would want to talk to one of their bankers okay. in the branch, one of their branch bankers, and really ask about how they manage the relationships with their commercial clients. And would you be assigned a person at the bank who would be really your advocate? Mm -hmm. And if they have someone in the branch, you know, if you're a fairly small business, you're, you're dealing at the branch level instead of corporate office. But really getting a relationship with someone in the branch, as foolish as it might sound, it's one of those... You know, when you're going into the bank, and I realize everybody does everything online these days, but if every once in a while you're going into the branch to make a deposit or or to um, you know, get cash or whatever, oh, you know, you, you see that banker there, hey, remember me, you know, I'm Nicole from from Create Brand Envy, and uh, how you doing? And you get a little bit of a personal rapport. So then when you need that loan... Mm-hmm. you can go to him to say, hey, you know, I'm growing my business. Right. I'm going to you know be buying I mean? some new equipment. Da, 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 da. I've had deposit accounts here for the last few years. I've averaged, you know, fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 in balance, average balances or whatever the number might be. What can you do for me? Okay. And that sounds really idyllic. Like I agree with that. But the reality is that banks or at least in my experience, what I've seen, they go through, they go through people like toilet paper. And so you cannot even, you can't keep a relationship with somebody. Turnover is rough. <laughs> no question. No question. It is a little bit of a, a crapshoot, but one of the things I found over the years is that um, bankers leave a bank, but they may not leave a relationship. So when you know you're going in, every month for a year or so and you're seeing, you know, Joe Smith, the banker sitting there and he's had your card and you've chit-chatted a little bit. Mm-hmm. When when Joe Smith leaves to go to another bank, his low-hanging fruit when he starts at the next bank is to pull the relationship from the old bank. That's true. So he's going to be calling you to say, hey, can, will you move your deposit accounts? Now, it's a little bit hard to move, you know, move deposit account accounts really frequently. Mm-hmm. But it's also, you know, I, I've had some clients say that they have had much better luck over a long period of time working with smaller banks or with credit unions. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not that well-versed with credit unions, so I really can't speak to that. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, they're, uh, you know, personally... I happen to have my business accounts with a national bank that happens to have a branch two blocks from my house. And the banker that's in there has been there. He opened my accounts and he's been there the last three years. So, yeah, it's a crap. That part is a little bit of a crapshoot. But even just maintaining clean deposit accounts, Mm -hmm. and what I mean by that is not having overdrafts. Sure, sure. It's amazing what the bank will, um, and there's always going to be a banker in whatever that branch location is, Mm -hmm. if that's helpful. 
I wanted to ask you about uh, some of the 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 darker side. <laughs> Darker dun, side. Dun, dun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I had mentioned to you that my last role um, in my paid profession, you know, uh, salaried profession as a banker, and it kind of stumbled on this. I I would do post mortem corporate frauds, oh. which um, I basically would look at these loans that went sideways, and they did not go sideways because, um, you know, the economy, you know, went bad or whatever. This was out and out fraud. And I would write these deals up to present to the board um, and present to bankers to say, hey, these are the kind of things you look at. And um, in every case across industries, and I did a few of them, it always boiled down to made up financial statements. Mm -hmm. And if anybody took the time to really look at the borrower's actual bank statements. Why, but, but, but don't you look at what they sent you? Well, not always. Uh, you know, um, sometimes a banker will want to make the deal look better and says, oh yeah, I kind of scanned the bank statements. But if he really looked at the bank statements, he'd see, oh, this borrower took a new loan and he's just using the new loan to pay the old loan. You can see it on the bank. He'd borrow from his line of credit. It would go into his checking account and then the money would come out to pay the term loan mm -hmm. <laughs> like every month. Mm -hmm. they're, they're, <laughs> sorry. They're really... They're, it was, the business was just a fake. Yeah. Um, the other thing is we had it at one point um, a business that he claimed to be doing about $150 million a year in revenue. That's a lot of money, I was right? Just, yeah, I'm like, right. that's a lot. <laughs> but he also claimed that he was recognized as a small business for IT services to service agencies of the federal government and claim that the federal government was his client, these different departments within the federal government. Mm -hmm. Well, all you needed to do was a basic Google search mm -hmm. and you'd see that to be considered registered as, and he had that paperwork and that was legitimate paperwork, mm -hmm. You couldn't be more than a $5 million a year business. Right. Right. So we had gotten all sorts of fraudulent information from him. And the way it ended up coming to light, I mean, it was a Russian roulette thing because he kept taking out more money to pay the old loans, mm -hmm. um, like a sort of a Ponzi scam thing. He was going through a divorce. And in the divorce... He was going to give the business to his ex-wife, was handing her the business. And she's like, well, I don't think I want this business. But um, her lawyer subpoenaed the bank records. Mm -hmm. And when she got the bank records, she looked, she said, those aren't the tax returns. And sure enough, she was the one who kind of cratered the whole thing. So that was kind of an interesting one. But in terms of more current ones, smaller kind of, you know, eh, this doesn't really look like a legitimate guy mm -hmm. or gal. If you see 
again, I, I, I really look at many small businesses commingle money from the business and their personal. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I see on the business continual debits at Starbucks. It's like, how many coffees are you bringing to your employees on a regular basis? You know, it just looks kind of stupid. But um, in one particular case where I felt this borrower was somewhat disingenuous and he was looking for money from nonprofit where it was going to start out as a loan and if he paid the loan for 18 months, the remainder of the loan became a grant. So this was a really good program. But I just noticed um, that when I looked at the business checking accounts that there were a lot of ATM withdrawals. And that's not really the normal use for business checking accounts. Typically, business checking accounts are for the operations. You get funding in from your clients, the funding, you know, you're paying bills for your inventory, for your services, for your payroll, period. There might be travel in there if you've got trade shows to go to or whatever, but pretty much it's it's really straightforward. Yeah, and if there's a cash withdrawal, it's like petty cash, like very small. Yes, like- pay, or or your... Um, You've got to pay some, yeah, really small vendor. You, you've got a messenger that's going to pick up stuff. Yeah, and he only and, takes cash. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. Not but normal. So really, really unusual. Looks super sus. Yes. <laughs> and in this particular city that this person was using ATMs, mm-hmm. I was very familiar with this physical location. Mm-hmm very suspect neighborhoods. And oh, by the way, nowhere near his business. Right. So, um, what kind it, of business was he in? Also, you know, I could never quite get my arms around exactly <laughs> what the business was. And, um, the tax return had, you know, on your mm-hmm. a, a business yeah, tax return the, has a NAICS code. Yeah. I was like, nine, 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 nine. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I have no idea. And I kept saying to the nonprofit, uh, you know, hey, I don't understand what this guy's doing. Oh, he's doing all this great work in the neighborhood. What does that mean? Okay. So if I can't understand something really quickly. So this is the banker that has a relationship with the guy. The nonprofit. I'm sorry, the nonprofit yep. guy who has a relationship. Yep. And, and they're looking to me to underwrite right. for them this new facility. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not getting the warm and fuzzies here. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are a lot of questions. So um, when I, I see something where, A, I don't understand what the business does. Now, that doesn't mean on a lot of the tech businesses and sort of new age um, influencer kind of businesses. How about hey, cryptocurrency? That that's, that's forget that's, cryptocurrency. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We we don't even do, you we just deal went with cross-eyed that. first, and yeah, nobody can I was see like, it. You, oh my gosh! Her eyes just like no, crossed in her head. She's like, oh, yeah. There, there are a lot, I, you know. And I'll say, I, okay, I, I don't really understand that business, but I I under there is a description of the business. Mm-hmm, okay, mm-hmm. 
and I understand who their clients are yeah, or I, mean, I understand who their vendors are. I mean, there's there's something I can put a box around. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, that's cool. But when I, I have no clue how this person is making money, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. then I have no clue how you're going to pay me back. Yeah. It is all about paying me back. Right. Okay. And when you think about it, if a stranger comes up to you, Nicole, and says, can you give me 10 bucks? I'm, I'm going to give you back 15 bucks next week. And you've never met the person before. It's kind of highly unlikely that you give him the 10 bucks, mm-hmm. right? Even though he's promising you a 50% return on your money. Now, if your brother called and said, hey, um, I've got a friend who's starting this great business. Okay. And he is making these widgets that is going to revolutionize the tech industry. Mm-hmm. Um, but he needs $10 and next week he's going to pay you back 15 Okay. I don't understand quite what he does, but it's coming from my brother and I trust him. And this sounds like it could be a good deal. I'll do this. Okay. So when I see a fraudulent situation or I perceive that it may be fraudulent, it's at the front end Nobody knows this person, and we don't understand what he does. Mm -hmm. That's kind of two knocks against him. Then I look at his, the business checking account, and I see all this kind of, it might not be nefarious, who knows, but a lot of ATM withdrawals. I mean, I'm talking about, you know, a business that supposedly is doing a few hundred thousand a year in, in revenues, and there are thousand dollars, two thousand dollars, five thousand dollars a day in cash <gasps> ATM. Yeah, no. This is wow. not this is not good. Okay. And then I see in the business account a lot of personal payments being made. We're not talking about reimbursement of employee, you as the employee expenses. I am talking about, oh, isn't that your mortgage payment? Oh, isn't that your auto loan payment? No, no, no. You got to pay those yourself. Even if the your only source of income is your employment within your own company, mm-hmm. you still have to either pay yourself a wage or mm-hmm. pay yourself a draw, a mm-hmm. distribution, mm-hmm. and then out of your personal account, mm-hmm. you pay for your rent or mortgage, your insur- your your own insurance, not the business insurance, mm-hmm. your auto loan, mm-hmm. unless it's the, you know, the business has an automobile and there's a legitimate reason for the business right. to have an automobile. Um, you know, I saw one not too long ago. It's a lot of... Um, uh, debits on the business account to what is clearly the business owner's therapist. Like, I think your therapy- Like, like mental therapy or Like mental therapist. Therapist. <laughs> like And even break. if it were physical therapy, it's like, that is your own expense. Right. The commingling is just a huge red flag of what's legitimate here. Of high, I think it's poor hygiene, poor financial hygiene. That's a great way to say it. I like that. I had never heard financial hygiene, but I like it. It's like having a relationship with your money. Mm-hmm. And um, so when I when I see that kind of stuff, it's sometimes, you know. Now, there are certain businesses that we look at, 
the barbershop, the nail salon, heavy cash mm -hmm. revenue businesses where I would call it, okay, there's a certain amount of cash that's hitting the floor. Right. If you will. Right. I, I'm not saying that is, you know, that shouldn't be the lion's share of your business. But I'm assuming when I see a really small business that's owned by one individual, there is some commingling, but not to the extent where it's, you know, right. everything on the business yeah. is just coming out, not in ways that are legitimate. When I hear someone say to me, and um, I did hear this last week, oh, well, you know, I, I work all the time. And so if I'm working at 10 o'clock at night and I get hungry and I order DoorDash, that's going on the business. I'm like, yeah, no, that's not right. And, and when I, when I hear someone say that, say, you're not really a legitimate business owner. You know, that, that's sort of not some of the, not the fun story. Um, you know, what, what will, what will really help communities, help individuals and help communities survive and thrive is really to get back to rewarding legitimate and honest business owners who are rolling up their sleeves and, and doing a good job, mm -hmm. um, and I think there has been a real pull, um, and, and you can do the most basic of Google searches and see, you know, add, 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 add for all these different ways. And you see it on TV as well. You know, we'll give you money for a week and no questions asked. <laughs> when you get into that habit, um, it's really hard to unwind and it's hard to ever make your business truly legitimate. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, they, those situations, they just make me very sad. Um, probably the biggest um, fraud I ever um, personally worked on that um, was uh, distressing, to say the least, was a company that... They initially had a small problem that was legitimate, but to try to get themselves out of that hole, they created a bigger nightmare. And they had sold, they were a raging success and had sold a lot of their product to department stores as gift items for the holidays. They should have collected their cash from those retailers then in the January, February timeframe, when those retailers had sold all the goods, they should have then, this wholesaler, manufacturer wholesaler, collected their money. Well, instead of collecting the money, they got most of the goods returned back to them. And they didn't want to tell the bank, so what they did is they rented a warehouse to put all that inventory and a warehouse we didn't know about. And they thought that 
they could sell that inventory at lower prices to get rid of that inventory and sort of no one would know the wiser because they they had really been tremendously successful except that it that didn't quite work and by february they couldn't make their payroll because they had no cash and the whole the company were they were printing they had to report to us, to the bank, on a daily basis of what their their um, money coming in was, and they were just making it up. Oh, wow, what a and, nightmare. And this is before, again, before the, you know, internet, cell phones, the whole thing. And at 2 o'clock in the morning, I received a, home, a phone call at my home. It seems like yesterday, and we're going back a really long time. And this person's voice, who I didn't really recognize, said to name the company and said, the real financials are in the bottom desk drawer. And I'm like, whose bottom desk drawer? <laughs> and sure enough, the chief financial officer, I went to his office the next day, I said, do you, do you have anything in that bottom desk drawer? And he opened the bottom desk drawer. It was a whole different set of books which the bank had never seen. So he had a, so somebody kind of tattletailed. Or Correct. Whistle, what is the right word? Whistle, whistleblower. So, so somebody yeah. was a... A whistleblower, yeah. yeah. So he had a whistleblower. Yeah. So yeah. Um, that made my, ante my antenna were always up after that of... Wow. Um, what was the you know, repercussion... Um, it, when you tell me how the, the, the hoops that they jumped through to falsify information yes. and hide the inventory, it makes me wonder what the um, what the repercussion the bank had on them for for that. Oh. Um, you know, for missing the payments. Yeah, that, that one was a filed criminal charges for fraud situation. Oh, well, that, that was what, what happened after they did fraud. But oh, before, yeah. you know, so they, they borrowed money. To that they then could, they they should have been paying us back. At that point, it was a revolving line of credit and they couldn't pay it back. And what would have been the, the if, if they just would have been honest and said, hey, we didn't sell the thing, you know, wh what would have happened to them? Yeah, we probably would have stopped lending at that point and restructured that loan into a term loan and helped them to sell that inventory. So you would have actually helped them? Oh yeah, definitely. No question. If people want to contact you, yes. um, is your phone number the best? Yes. 609-510-1932. That's the you number. You do not have a website. You are on the DL. <laughs> She's on the down low. Well, C I'll, I'll tell you what. Um, yeah, or it's cfw.credit.consultants at gmail.com. So I don't even have like uh I only... <laughs> I can help you with that. Okay. I I am just a word of mouth kind of person. Uh, uh, yeah. And so you're like the real deal. You're like the underground. No, you know, I just... <laughs> I'm just and, teasing you. No, and I um, I also, I try, you know, just try to help people, so... Yeah. All right. Sounds Small great. Small business. Cynthia Weiss. Thank you so much. Thank you. Loved it. Make sure you hit subscribe so you can be notified of new episodes where we discuss business, marketing, and peek under the hood of successful companies 
to understand the leadership behind the organization and best practices for today's challenges. I'm your host, Nicole Alisea, founder and president of Brand Envy, an integrated global marketing communications firm based in sunny Tampa Bay. Learn more at createbrandenvy.com. Thanks for listening to Create Brand Envy. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss a future episode. Brand Envy is an integrated marketing and advertising agency that helps brands innovate while maintaining their focus and identity. To learn more or to get in touch with Nicole, visit createbrandnv.com. That's createbrand and the letters nv.com. We'll see you next time.